And welcome to another week, another show, Peace Tree Post, checking in in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, both of us are. I'm Jarrett Smith alongside Jason Longshore, soccer about Atlanta, for Atlanta, in Atlanta. And Jason, how are you doing this week? Doing good. What about you? Um, let's not talk about it. Um, I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> I was just You've got... recovered from that, uh, that Celtic match, have you? I got. I, I want to. I'm just going to believe that it was punishment for trash talking Rangers last week. Yes. Yes, it was. So absolutely. But other, I mean, otherwise, I'm good. Um, you know, a lot of stuff happened this week. We've been talking about. Uh, you know, everybody got a little into it last night, talking about it on the uh, soccer chat on Twitter. Which again, Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. Jump on Twitter. Hashtag ATL Soccer. It's about a good hour of talking about what's going on in Atlanta. If you can condense it to 140 characters, you can get creative and have some fun. Uh, Jason, if you wanted to get started tonight, um, since the last time we talked, it's been pretty busy. Atlanta keeps adding people and people are impressed, not just in Atlanta, but around the uh, country. Yeah, there's lots of of stuff popping off right now with Atlanta United. Um, Nothing official on the player front yet, uh, but there's definitely some some heavy hints being laid down by the by the club. Um, the big one that kind of came out of nowhere to at least nowhere for Atlanta to be connected to it was Kenwin Jones. Yeah, absolutely. That was, um, um that was, that was a classic. Insider. Yeah. Stephen Goff uh, from Washington post kind of dropped that out of nowhere. And it was like, Oh, okay. This is another kind of Chris McCann deal where he's out of contract. So, you know, good, good option there. You're not paying a transfer fee. Like we talked about with McCann, um, you know, the, the salary numbers being thrown around are reasonable. I think it would be, you know, I've heard anywhere between four and $500,000 a year, which would put him over the DP threshold, but you can buy that down. So he doesn't count as a designated player, which would probably be preferred. Um, I think there's a lot of good things about this potential signing. I agree. Um, that's where I was going to kind of get at. I mean, the idea that you can kind of put it into the target allocated money and this might not be a DP signing, but if, you know, if, if Kenwin Jones is healthy and I know that's been an issue, um, a lot of stuff I've read is they, he's had a little bit of issue with health. Um, his spine has been fused by the way. He has like an iron rod in his spine, which is pretty impressive when you get by the medical reasons for it. But yeah. if he comes in, if he comes in at 31 years old and gives you like two or three good years where he's giving you seven to 10 goals a year, um, playing kind of that target forward in, you know, uh, people, uh, I think, I forget who it was last night on the, uh, on the soccer chat mentioned, uh, I think it was Austin mentioned about playing a four, three, three, putting him in the middle. If he gives you that seven to 10 goals a year, that's, that's great. Yeah. I think one of the hardest things to find these days is a, a true number nine who can play as a target back to goal. And, and Jones is that. It gives you a lot of flexibility. You can play the 4-3-3 with, with two wide forwards on either side of him. You can play a 4-2-3-1 with those wide players dropping a little bit. Um, you can play a 4-4-2 with a target forward as long as you have a, a second forward who can make runs off of him. 
Um, the thing that jumps out to me about, about Jones, and it was kind of the same thing with McCann, is you're seeing a guy who's a veteran. You're seeing a guy who, you know, has experience as a captain. He's the captain of the Trinidad and Tobago national team currently. Uh, leadership is something that it definitely looks like Atlanta United is prioritizing. I agree, and it's a great move, I think, in that regard, and that, you know, you're bringing in, uh, and we'll get to Vajabo in a minute, and the hashtag Vajabo Watch, which you should look that up. It's actually been a lot of fun to follow because we're all losing our minds every time he blinks. Um, but aside from Vajabo, everybody they've been tied to has been either a veteran or a captain or someone who was well-respected where they were. They're talking about bringing in DP guys, and, you know, we've seen this with New York City and with Orlando, and continuing a trend that you have no reason not to continue, but to bring in DP guys who are leaders on the field and potentially off the field as well. And um, it continues that. I think it's great for it. Yeah. I like the mix because you know, you can't have just veteran players. And I mean, the, the veterans we're talking about with Atlanta United, you know, McCann's late twenties uh, Jones will be 32 when Atlanta United starts. Um, you know, Guardado is another veteran who's been mentioned. He's around 30. So you're not talking the 35, 36-year-old leadership veteran guys. You're talking, you know, guys who have some years left in them. But then you're also talking about guys like Vishalba, who, you know, is a young, exciting player. He could be here for a while and benefit from those veterans. Yeah, and um, it's funny because with, uh, with Jones at one point, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he got pushed out by a guy who fits that mold that you're talking about of the, I don't want to say over the hill because I don't think a soccer player in his 30s is over the hill compared to the rest of us mortals, at least in terms of physical fitness. But the guy that came to mind when I thought of him was like, okay, he's like a shorter Peter Crouch. And Crouch is like 36, 37 now. Now, granted, I would love to have Peter Crouch because he's the patron saint of all awkward tall people everywhere. So he is... Um, <laughs> I'd love to see Peter Krauss play football for this one time. That would be awesome. Oh my God. That'd be great. Um, He, uh, but he's kind of the patron saint of us tall people, but Jones, I think, I think when I saw the Jones signing and I started looking him up and looking at what he did, um, like you said, I think he fits in that formation, whether you put him, you know, up front by himself, there's flexibility depending on how you want to do it. If you have someone else with him playing, uh, you know, off his shoulder, who's willing to make a run, um, you want to bring in people from the midfield to make a run. I mean, a four-four-two could work, whether or not you want to have it four across the board or run a diamond in the midfield and just depends on the personnel, but I'm with yeah, you completely. I think it's a great signing. That's the biggest thing is it depends on the rest of the pieces that come around. And, and that, that's, what's kind of cool at this point is you're starting to get enough players being discussed that it's like, okay, where does this guy fit? Okay. What does it mean for this guy? That's that's when this starts to get exciting to me, and you're looking at depth charts and you know who will play where and who will back up who because you know one thing to keep in mind with a guy like Jones, you know, you mentioned some of his injury issues. Um, I would not expect him to be you know a 90-minute player every week. I think you're going to need to pick some some weeks to give him rest. You know, you got to remember too, Atlanta United schedule in their first year, especially in the second half, is going to be interesting because you've got that long road trip to start it with Mercedes-Benz Stadium being finished and you're going to have a lot of home games in a short period of time and you're probably going to have a lot of you know two game weeks where you're doing a Wednesday and a weekend 
and you're going to have to pick your spots to, to rest Jones. Um, and you need to have somebody who can replicate, you know, some of the things he brings to the table as a backup. So you're not, you know, stuck in the U.S. World Cup 2014 saga where you don't have a backup for your target forward and it, it ruins everything. Yeah, let's not think about that. Um, I don't, I just still, I, look, I saw images of Josie Altador running down that sideline and that hamstring just <sighs> explodes like a grenade. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to see that ever again. No. Um, but it, I, I think the fit is on the field and I think the fit for Jones is definitely off the field as well. Um, not sure how many people were there who were listening. I know they were there because the place was packed. Last time I saw this team play was actually against Mexico, if I'm not mistaken. It was the Mexico. It was Mexico in the Gold Cup. That was years ago. Um, uh, yeah, that was 2013. I believe so. Um, yeah, it was. You're right. Um, there's a presence here for Trinidad and Tobago. There's a presence here for most of the islands in Atlanta. If Atlanta goes out and signs a Jamaican player next, I promise you they will be marching in the street, and it will be the happiest march you've ever seen. And they will scream at the top of their lungs in joy. There's definitely the community here. So I think the fits there on the field and the fits there off the field that you have this captain. Um, I don't know enough about the approach and the mentality of the TNT team, um, whether or not he's, you would call him a legend or whatnot, but I definitely think there's identify, uh, there's, there you can, the people will be able to identify with him in the same way that people would have been able to identify with Gordado and Vijalba that Atlanta's not just picking up the best players. They're picking up great players who fit into the community as well. Yeah. I, I did not know. I mean, I knew there was a, a big, you know, Trinidad population here in the Atlanta area. I didn't know how big it was. And uh, as one of the things as this, this popped off this news about Jones was, you know, Atlanta has one of the, I think it might be the largest population of native born uh, Trinidad and Tobago citizens outside of Trinidad and Tobago, which I had no idea. Um, it's an international city and to be able to have a, you know, an international squad. I mean, you look at the, the countries that are represented so far, it's, it's definitely, it fits. Um, you know, we'll see the American players mixed in as MLS players are picked up um, or possibly, you know, American players from overseas are brought back, but it's a, it's a pretty diverse mix and it's been, Pretty cool following it. I'm I'm just hoping to see some of the signings become – or some of these rumored signings become official. Well, speaking of rumored signings becoming official, um, hashtag the job will watch. It's still on. Oh, boy. It's never ended. We're not going to know. Um, in case you don't know, the uh, has left his club. He had a dinner. It was very nice. We all stalked it on Twitter, like probably uncomfortably stalked it on Twitter, to be honest. Um, but – yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Um, the word is he's going to Miami for his physical. And then potentially, hopefully in the next week, uh, with a good timeline, we get the official word that, you know, Bajaba is the next signing for Atlanta United. Well, I, I think something might have leaked out tonight. Uh, oh, I'm not when everybody listens to this. Um, yeah, last night. Uh, it became known that Atlanta United followed Vijalba on Twitter. Oh, and yeah. As we, Rob, either Rob or Eric posted that from Dirty South Soccer, and, it's, and it just kind of like, it's happening. 
Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Like I I guess you know they're BFFs now. I mean I I don't know. I I looked at it and you know Atlanta United doesn't follow many Twitter accounts and they do now follow Vishalba and it appears to be fairly recent. So uh, there's also a couple other people that are connected to the club that that follow Vishalba. So you would have to assume, unless it's a grand troll job, that uh, Tito Vishalba will be announced with Atlanta United in the very near future. Either that or it's a total misdirection because Atlanta, and we've discussed this before, and we'll get to the kits in a minute, and uh, Jones fits into this. Atlanta as a city is the king. The sport teams here are kings in terms of misdirection and keeping what's actually happening quiet. They're really, really good at it. For all we know, they're all going to follow Vijalba and Griezmann signs with Atlanta next week. All right, break. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to go with a no on that one. <laughs> and I think it's just there's been way too many signs leading to this. I mean, this has yeah. been going on now for, I think, almost a full month. Um, I remember I, – I, think I was the first one in English to connect uh, Vishalba to Atlanta. And it was because of, uh, you know, a link I found on Twitter where Vishalba's agent on a radio show in Buenos Aires name dropped Atlanta United uh, when there was talk about where Vishalba was going to go next, because situation's really interesting with him. The, the, the deeper I've kind of gotten into it, he, you know, his contract was coming up Um Either he knew it was coming up and he wanted to go in this transfer window or he extended his contract that was supposed to end last year and other years. But it was all geared around the club being able to sell him and make money, which is pretty amazing and not exactly all that common these days. Um, but his story's not common. I mean, this is, a, this is a guy, 21 years old. He grew up in the neighborhood that borders San Lorenzo Stadium, um, which is you know not a great part of town and he joined San Lorenzo's youth academy at 10 years old worked his way up to the youth teams and made his debut and he his first goal for the club is one of the best goals in the Argentine league's history I mean when you score a goal that is immediately compared to Maradona from the 86 world cup and the goal Messi scored in Spain and La Liga uh, with Barcelona that was comparable that's you know, a huge weight to start with. And when you do that, you kind of become, you know, especially with his history, you know, he grew up in the club, you know, you kind of become an idol for that club. And he was part of the team that won the Copa Libertadores a couple of seasons ago, which is huge accomplishment, the biggest accomplishment in South America. And basically those players, you know, are, are legends with the club for the rest of their lives. So, you know, that's why I think you've seen this outpouring of, you know, emotion about Vishalba leaving and not in a negative way. And that's, I think that's the other thing to keep in mind here for, for fans to look at this guy and really welcome him to the club with open arms because this is a guy who everybody knew he was going to leave. They knew it was time. And you're seeing, you know, his teammates, you're seeing, you know, journalists, you're seeing fans, you know, send these just beautiful messages about how much he meant to the club and how much he meant to them and wishing him well. And you're saying he always has a home at San Lorenzo. It's really amazing to see it. It makes you feel good about this guy and you really want him to succeed. 
Yeah, and I I'm curious to see where he goes out on loan because if they sign, they're going to loan him out for the first part of this year. Um, I wonder where they would intend to send him, whether they send him back. Um, I don't know if that's even been discussed. They won't or... send him back. They will okay. not send him back. That has definitely been ruled out. And um, <laughs> talk, talk about hashtag Vijalba watch and how crazy it's been. This was Eric Quintana and myself listening to a San Lorenzo radio show after their friendly against Saprisa the other night. And I mean, Eric speaks Spanish better than I do. So I was kind of getting half of it. He was getting a lot more of it. And it came out that the contract that Vishalba signed as part of this deal or the, the free contract, whatever the terms were, it's going to be whoever he goes out on loan to is going to pay that contract for his loan period. And it's too high for San Lorenzo to pay. So he's definitely not going back to San Lorenzo. Um, The, the team that's been mentioned the most is Tijuana in Liga MX. Yeah. uh, They start their season this weekend, which makes me kind of wonder since things haven't been announced yet, like how, you know, if, if Tijuana is going to want to bring him in, you know, a game or two into their season, um, I don't know. That's been the one that's been mentioned the most. There's been some late rumblings of the possibility of a loan to Europe and Spain has been mentioned recently. There was this, this would be a, a good time. I mean, to, if he's going to go to Europe, I mean, it's not a bad time to go. No, I it makes timing wise, I think it makes a little more sense. And the one club that was mentioned kind of offhandedly today, and I. I I'm not really buying into the rumor was Alaves who's in La Liga as this was promoted. And Alaves had been interested in him before. And I think the rumor kind of started with, you know, trying to put two and two together and it doesn't really link. Um, I don't see Alaves as a club that would pay a hefty salary either for a guy on loan for six months. So not sure, and I think that might be one of the holdups of the announcement is the, the loan portion of it is not sorted out yet. But by all accounts, it's happening, and it's happening soon. Well, <clears throat> one last note before we move on. If, perchance, you find yourself watching the Hex, and you find yourself sad when you watch Giassi's artist's first touch that looks like he hit the ball with a mallet, go watch Vijalba's highlights. It will make you feel better about someone's first touch. And you'll be happy. And then you'll be happy because he's probably going to play for Atlanta United. Now, all this good news, Jason, we kind of have to shift to a little bit of, um, I guess it's disappointment in a lot of people's eyes. Is uh, maybe. The, the, may, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, why, I mean, that's why I'm trying to qualify it because I don't know it's, how people really yeah, feel. Yeah, it's, it's not completely bad news. It's, it's maybe bad news. It's, Gordano it's, might not come to damper. Atlanta. Yeah, the, the whole thing's weird. I mean, you know, as, as this has been dragging on, you you, kept, you start wondering, like, okay, John Sutcliffe on ESPN was adamant, like, done, it's done, it's going to be for this amount of money, it's it's done, he's coming. And then everything got quiet. It's like, okay, well, Copa America Centenario is over. That was a huge disappointment for Mexico. Um, sure, you know, he's on vacation, getting away from everything. They'll announce it soon. Okay, then word started coming out, well, PSV training camp is getting started, and he's supposed to be there, and it's like, okay, well, what's going on? So, first day of PSV's training camp was this week, and he talked about, gave an interview and talked about how excited he was, um, looking forward to the season, all the usual things he'd say to PSV TV, 
And a report came out on Goal.com um, from Atlas, which was Guardado's original club in Mexico. And the possibility that he was going to go on loan there for six months as part of the Atlanta United deal. He was going to play the, the uh, fall season in Mexico with Atlas. And it fell through. And the guess in the article was, well, it fell through because the Atlanta United deal fell through. Um, it's still really early and there's still a lot of different ways Guardado could end up in Atlanta. So I don't want to say it's, it's not happening, but it's not happening as soon as we thought it was going to. Yeah. And like I said earlier, and I got to keep reminding myself and people of this is Atlanta is such a weird sports town with the way their, their franchises operate. We're not going to know. We didn't see uh, Jones coming. We didn't see McCann coming. We probably won't see the next few big signings coming, even not big signings coming. Even the average signings will go, oh, that's odd. Okay, yeah, sure, why not? Oh, that fits really well. I mean, that's that might be our thought process. They're really good at um, they're really good at kind of keeping everything under wraps. And this goes for the Hawks, Braves, Falcons, um, Falcons less so, and Atlanta United now. Um, kind of funny considering. But- Kind of funny considering the Hawks and the or the Falcons and the Atlanta United are owned by the same uh, organization <laughs> and gentlemen. Yeah, but you can start to read into things though. I mean, you know the the Guardado the, the Vijalba thing. Let's start with that. I mean, every you know media personality in Argentina was like, he's going to Atlanta, he's going to Atlanta, he's going to Atlanta, <laughs> and then finally, you know, now Atlanta United is following him on Twitter. Like, I don't think that happens by accident. I think that's that's a done deal. It's going to happen. Um, Guardado, you can read into some things with, you know, the, the loan to Atlas, which would have made a ton of sense, would have been a great story. It's the uh, 100th anniversary of Atlas as a club. Um, would have been a great story. The legend, you know, from the club uh, fell through. And I mean, there's a reason it fell through. Like, for whatever reason, he hasn't agreed to terms with Atlanta, whether it's the transfer fee that would be paid to PSV or his personal contract, something has held it up to the point that the loan to Atlas hasn't happened. And, and that's kind of where I was drawing the connection with uh, Tijuana and Vishalba is Atlas. I think the, the supposition in the article was that, you know, because Liga MX starts Saturday, they're not going to bring Guardado in on loan because their season's already going to start and they're already going to be established. So they don't want to you know, rock that chemistry and all that. Um, I don't know if Tijuana will think the same way. We'll find out soon. Uh, you know, he's at, he's at preseason with PSV. Season doesn't start yet. The window is still open for another almost three weeks. Um, there's also the January window where Guardado could come over at that point. Um, there's even the possibility of him finishing the season out at PSV and coming next summer. Um, not Would not be the preferred option i think you know we all want to see you know the strongest team possible on opening day and we don't want to be in a waiting on frank lampard situation like new york city uh but it could happen um it's definitely the part of this saga with guardado that you know everybody wants to make sure they're getting the right amount of money and people don't want to pay crazy money so where does everything fall out uh, I mean, I don't know the answer to that because the MLS transfer window is kind of like a maze, but the maze is on fire. Um, 
and we'll, we'll keep you up to date with what's going on. We'll have updates as we go by through the week. You know, follow us on Twitter as well. You can follow him at Longshu. Follow me at Jarrett underscore Smith. Both of us on Twitter, Dirty South Soccer, Peachtree Post. Anything breaks with these guys, we'll get you covered. Uh, Jason, as we kind of shift, I mean, we'll stay with Atlanta United. Um, there's a kit sponsor now, and it's not who people expected, but it might be better than expected is one way to look at it, I guess, but depends on your view. It, I mean, it depends on what you're, what you're looking for out of the kit sponsor. Um, I, I was surprised. Uh, I was surprised first that it happened kind of out of nowhere. Again, classic Atlanta sports, but you know, everything drops uh, the morning. This was announced like, Oh, okay. American family insurance. All right, cool. Um, little video to introduce it. Uh, the uh, AFI logo in gold on a black jersey looks cool. I'm okay with that. Um, yeah, I'm impressed how quickly uh, the guys on Twitter turned around mock-ups of the kit. That was just yeah. almost like they saw <laughs> it and went, yeah, we got that set. Just drop those a logo in. Yeah, oh, yeah. Those, those guys blow my mind at how, how good they are with it. And there, there's a bunch of them. Um, definitely, like, if you're not if, – if you have TweetDeck or HootSuite, whichever you use – and you don't have a window for hashtag ATLUTD, uh, go set it now because that's where you're going to catch a lot of news. That's where you're going to see a lot of these things. And the, the kit mock-ups are cool. I mean, that's just fun to me. I'm, I'm not a graphic designer. I No way I could design something like that and set it up. So it just fascinates me that people can do it so fast. And if you want to get an idea, like two of the, two of the guys that pop off the top of my head and Many apologies if I'm getting you know one or two of them. Uh, Chris Irontooth and Conrad Burry are two that you can jump on on Twitter. And it's not just Atlanta; they'll cover all sorts of kits, and they will blow your mind. Like the kind of, the, to the extent where I wonder, like, how has somebody not picked them up to design kits or design any kind of uniform? Maybe not like top flight teams, but anybody picked these guys up. Yeah. Uh... At Pay No Mind, uh, Jr. Francis on Twitter is another one. Um, Thank you. Nice I know I forget at least well. one. Yeah, uh, I mean, stuff got turned around fast. And, you know, to me, I guess I kind of fall in the camp with a, a kit sponsor. I don't really care too much, to be honest. I mean, you know, you want it to look cool, and you don't want it to be a company that, like, you're embarrassed to wear. I, the one that I mean, you have the, the Herbalifes and, and some of those in MLS that are you know, questionable and you kind of wonder about. But, yeah, the one that I always remember was Manchester United's AIG sponsorship when everything <laughs> went nuts with AIG. And it's like, uh... It's a kit version not, of Enron Field. Yeah, it's like, can I wear this out in public and not get things thrown at me? This is not good. <laughs> oh, probably not. Yeah. Yeah, I was a little concerned. Um, you don't have that issue here. I mean, this is, you know, if you if you watch sports, period, in the last year, you've seen American Family Insurance commercials. If it's, you know, Russell Wilson, if it's J.J. Watt, if it's Kevin Durant, you've seen them. They're, they've been very aggressive in their sports marketing. So, when you when you start connecting the dots, it's not a shock to see them – you know, partner up with Atlanta United. Uh, they've been growing their presence in Atlanta for eight years now. 
So it's an important market to them. And they're a Fortune 500 company. This is not, you know, this is not back in the days when you would see a small company on a shirt, a small local company. This is a, a big time Fortune 500 company that is looking to get bigger. And they see Atlanta United as a way to help make them bigger. Absolutely. And yeah, it ruins one of my other dreams of having Zaxby's on the front of the kit, which, oh, Zaxby's. God. That would have been great. Okay. Well, I mean, Why I was thinking about smaller that companies. That not what I expected to hear. <laughs> Either that or we're putting Sweetwater on the front. Um, well. I mean, but, but the idea of it I would vote for Red Brick. That's just me. But. No, that's fine. I'm just thinking of a company that's percept that's smaller but perceived as being you know an atlanta thing a local thing like you said uh, a company that's more local and has more ties but this can still the, the the bottom line here is atlanta atlanta united is still getting money now for those who may not you know know some of you may some of you may not um kit deal here isn't the same as in europe the money won't be the same um jason correct me if i'm wrong i think the most expensive one currently is uh, a galaxy. It's like four and a half a year, four and a half million. Yeah, per year. That's, that's the most expensive one that numbers have been reported on. Um, the average is supposed to be between three and 3.5 a year. And the galaxy is one of the largest reported ones at about four and a half a year. There's others that numbers aren't known. And this is you know the same thing here. It's we don't know. Um, Darren Eels told, MLSsoccer.com's Pace and Swin, that it's a top-tier deal. Um, that was the same thing that Sports Business Journal reported. So my guess is, you know, you're looking at more than that $3 million a year mark with this deal. And it would also make sense with how aggressive, you know, American Family Insurance has, has been with, with sports marketing. And that was, I guess, one of the big things to me is I, I get – you know, when you look at, well, why isn't it Coca-Cola or why isn't it Delta or why isn't it Home Depot or those are really the three that I saw, you know, well, why isn't it these guys? Um, it's, you know, we, if you haven't seen the piece on Dirty South Soccer, uh, Eric and myself worked on this for a little while and we got a hold of John Guppy, who is the president founder of Guilt Edge Soccer Marketing, one of the leading soccer specific marketing organizations in the country. And he was the former president and CEO of the Chicago Fire. So he's been on both sides of this type of situation. And I thought, you know, he really nailed it when talking about the other possibilities for Atlanta companies to get in on this. It really just might not have made sense for them. You know, they, I'm sure Coca-Cola is an MLS sponsor. I'm sure Coca-Cola will have partnerships with Atlanta United at some level whether it's just on the stadium side as a package deal with the Falcons and United, um, whether it's just at the league level or it's specifics of it could be the foundations, who knows they're going to be involved with the team. Um, Delta and possibly through Southwest could be involved with the team. They might not have wanted to pony up that. Let's just say $4 million a year for, for this package. They might not have wanted to go there and this, that would have been a lot more attractive for, a company that is, you know, in the situation of American Family Insurance, who's trying to grow and trying to grow their presence in Atlanta. I think that's something a lot of us really forgot about when we saw AmFam. We just kind of looked at it, cocked our head to the side, went, "Really?" Um, but I think that's something a lot of a lot of us forgot is that 
you know, maybe these companies, maybe there are companies that didn't want to, uh, didn't want to do this. And that's they don't want to do it at this level, I think, is the thing. Like, I, yeah. Coca-Cola will be involved with Atlanta United to some degree. Uh, maybe for them, they would have rather, if they, say they have $5 million a year to throw towards MLS sponsorship, maybe they think they get more bang for the buck by doing the, the national stuff with the league and, you know, getting the carryover here in their local market. I mean, do is is for Coca-Cola, let's put it this way, putting their logo on the front of the shirt, are they going to sell more Coca-Cola that way? Is it going to be a huge difference? It's Probably not. I mean, People are going to drink mean, Coke here anyway. Exactly. But to American Family Insurance, it makes them a big local representative to be on the front of Atlanta United shirts. So it's more valuable to them, and they're going to cut the bigger check. And that that check is hugely important. You know, this is the biggest source of revenue that a team will see that has nothing to do with the, the field. This is it. Absolutely. And I think that's really overlooked. Um, and this is a two-way partnership, too. You've got AmFam. Like you said, they're being aggressive. They've decided they're going to be on the front of somebody's shirt. This is a company, as you, point, as you have pointed out, with uh, J.J. Watt and uh, Kevin Durant. Yes, commercials are now, great. I mean, yeah, the, they're it, trying to be aggressive. But now you've put their name on the front of your shirt, an aggressive company that's going to market. You, in turn, I mean, there may be a my, I scratch your back, you scratch mine kind of thing where we see Atlanta marketed um, outside of just the Atlanta area just because their name's on the shirt. Yeah, and that's what I think is going to happen with this. I think both sides are looking at it as, okay, you know, AmFam wants to get the attention, you know, as being, you know, a, a true hallmark of the Atlanta community. I think Atlanta United is like, well, we want to work with this to get you know, spread out around the Southeast. And I'm sure AmFam does too. So this uh, dream tryout tour, I think is probably the tip of the iceberg for some of the things they'll do together. Uh, you know, this is a, a really cool series that's going to hit Birmingham and Charlotte and Nashville. And then here in Atlanta where people can you know, have an open tryout. Oh, that's yeah, going to make the most it, heart-wrenching commercial too when they cut it. Oh yeah, I mean, is, you think of the branding that's going to come out of that. Um, if you find one guy, and that was you know one of the things that I kind of dug into when when I was writing about this was, you know, Jorge Villafaña, uh, who is now with Santos Laguna, but won MLS Cup with Portland. He came out of the Sueño MLS thing that's similar to this that Univision does with MLS. Uh, the Funes Mori brothers. You know, once at Everton, um, you know, it's they came out of this. It's you never know, and you can't expect to actually get a player out of it, but you never know. And you're going to get some great stories, and you're going to, you know, from the AmFam side, you're going to get a great commercial out of it. You know, you will. That's, and I, I'm kind of sitting here hoping because, you know, I like to cause problems. I want, like, one of the kids from Charleston Battery just to show up and, just pretend that he's just off the street, just to see what happens. Um, I think might have been with that. <clears throat> like, <clears throat> like Utu just shows up and like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just here for the trial. Just a lucky kid. Yeah, sure. Um, don't think trying to shatter out. people's dreams. Uh, Amfam is about dream fearlessly, <laughs> not about shattering dreams. Come on now. <laughs> um, well, I mean, people have dreams. Uh, as we kind of shift gears, Jason, we'll kind of, you know. I'm kind of going to shift without the clutch. So hang on. Um, 
as we kind of get to the piece that everyone else in MLS has been talking about, and really not just MLS, but soccer fans in the United States, and I'm not sure how much the conversation has kicked up outside of the borders, but I have to imagine it's at least been discussed a bit. Um, if you don't know, New York Times published an article uh, about the darker side of Atlanta, of uh, Atlanta, of the United States soccer fandom, and uh, the backlash has been there. It's people have had opinions, people have had strong opinions, and they have not been shy about them. Yeah, this is a tricky one because you know when when the piece came across, you know, definitely sat down and read it, and I. I want to I want to be clear here. I think that the piece was definitely oddly constructed. Uh, the flow made no sense. It seemed like he was taking one thing and making it mean five others that were not connected. I I don't like how he tried to prove his point. However, I think you know then there's also been the very defensive understandably so because of the way this was portrayed, but a very defensive reaction from supporters groups and especially from Seattle, which I don't blame them at all. I think using Seattle in this was kind of bizarre to me when in the New York times own backyard, you've had incidents with Red Bulls and NYCSC supporters that if you wanted to try to, if, if your idea is to say, you know, his point basically that, you know, it's a bunch of people who are wanting to be hooligans and cause fights and they don't want any Latinos in their group and it's all a bunch of angry white people. Um, there's videos out there of two sets of New York fans fighting that would show that. But the writer was, I, I don't know if he's out of touch. I don't, I don't know if it was lazy. I, I'm not going to put, you know, words on him. I don't know. But it was there are issues happening in the American soccer culture and there have been things that have popped up. The New York one is one that, you know, you and I have talked about the um, you had issues with San Jose fans and different things have happened there. It is happening. And I would probably say that it's happening more often now. Does that mean it's a, you know, raging, you know, bomb about to explode on American soccer? I don't think so. I, it's one of those things where, I mean, I'm reading it and I'm, I'm and again, I got to do the same thing you did. Let me be clear. Um, I've, I read it earlier this week. I read it again today just to go over it and make sure I didn't misunderstand or misrepresent something when I talk about it. I kind of want to take the, uh, I kind of want to take the Matthew Delavadova defense here that I'm not necessarily sure that it's dirty or that it was intentionally awful, but that it was careless or slightly reckless, which in turn looks and can come across worse than just being uh, yellow journalism. That's, that's actually a really good way of putting that. Like the word that kept kind of coming to mind reading it to me was irresponsible. Like I felt that's like so it was. Perfect. Yeah, that's it perfect. was just, and it's something that, you know, I just don't, think and I don't know if it was just you know doesn't he the writer didn't have the experience with the culture or didn't put in the effort I've I've heard all of it and I don't know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna judge that but definitely was not an expert on the topic and it came off that way and when 
you can't really prove the point you're trying to make. It's, it's just not good for what you're trying to do. But that being said, the point he's trying to make is something that needs to be looked at and addressed and thought of. I mean, the, the, the song that he comes up to, and there's other songs like it uh, that are, are shouted in the stands. You know, I've seen different arguments uh, with fans who are like, I don't, you know, I'll be in the supporters group and I just won't sing that song. And I've heard that quite a bit with different songs. Um, I think there is an element in some supporters groups that, you know, do look at what's going on in England and like, okay, well, that's authentic. That's how we have to be. Um, everybody, no. And on a widespread field, no. And I think, you know, trying to tie it to the, the issues with, you know, during the Euro 2016. And I mean, the writer didn't even get into the whole like Russian hooligan training thing that's been going on and any of that. Yeah, that it's was, just, that was kind of a, he just kind of picked up a glass shard and just kind of dropped it. Yeah. Wonder, like, what was the, what was the point there? Like you didn't take it anywhere. You picked up something that was really volatile. You could have done something with it. I'm not sure what, and I don't want to assume that what, what, what he could have done with it, but you just kind of picked up something that, you could have run with, and you just kind of put it back down. Yeah, I, I, it, it felt like, okay, I want to say this, and I'm going to find something to help me say this. Okay, well, I can't really find what I need to back up what I want to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. And, I mean, irresponsible is kind of what, what it comes to for me. I mean, the Hudson River Blue, our, our friends, uh, SB Nation friends who cover NYCFC, to me, had one of the best uh, response articles to this. And, you know, they made the point that the New York Times doesn't follow the local soccer scene. They don't have a writer consistently at NYCFC games, which is like 30 minutes from the New York Times offices. They don't have a writer consistently at Red Bulls games. Um, they don't cover them. And they're pretty, you know, clear in they don't cover them. They don't think it's important. So, yeah, it was it was Sam Dunn, by the way. Uh, for those who yeah. are, if you're going to look it up for Hudson River Blue that Jason's talking about, the, the author of a Sam Dunn, um, worth checking out. Yeah, it was a great piece by Sam, and you know the the point was clear. It's if you're not going to be an expert on the topic, you need to be very careful in what you say, and that's kind of where we're at with this. Um, I I do want it to be said though that there are points in here that need to be considered and addressed. And I think the thing is, I think, you know, a lot of people and not all because you're never going to get 100%, you know, what you want. But I think a lot of people in the supporters culture in America with, you know, whether it's American outlaws or MLS supporters groups, or even lower down the, the tables, I think a lot of leadership do think about these things. Um, and they don't want them to happen this way, but you know, it, they are, there are issues that need to, you want to stay on top of, you don't want what the right, what the writer from the New York times is trying to say is happening. You don't want that to happen. Agreed. And now if I can ask you, um, Jason, how does this, I mean, how do you think it would reflect on Atlanta? How does, how does this fit into Atlanta? I mean, for us going forward. It's, 
Uh, I mean, do I think like there would be these types of issues in Atlanta? No, I don't. Um, I think you look at the supporters groups that have formed around Atlanta United and I don't get, you know, the type of attitude that the New York Times writer is trying to portray that supporter, the Atlanta, or the American soccer culture is like, I don't think that's the Atlanta soccer culture at all. Um, I think it's as far from it as possible. Uh, could it happen? I've always kind of thought that there will be a more aggressive supporters group start up. I think it kind of happens in with most teams and, you know, you, you have your different flavors of being a fan. And I think that's the, the good thing right now is you do have some different options. Uh, you have Terminus Legion and Resurgence and Footy Mob, and they all kind of bring different things to the table, which is what you want. You know, the, the group that I'm probably the most familiar with uh, outside of Atlanta is DC United and, and their supporters group culture. And you had that there where you have different groups that are generally in the same area and, you know, work together to, to a degree, not completely. But if you, you know, are a new DC United fan and you want to join a supporters group, you have different choices depending on how you want to be a fan. I think that's what will happen here. And I think there will be a more aggressive uh, ultra is kind of the, the word that they're around. I think yeah, you'll have a more aggressive supporters group. I don't see it being like this. And I think if it was like this, uh, I don't know if Atlanta soccer is ready for it, to be honest, because, you know, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, I, I do a lot of Atlanta soccer history research and, and write a lot of stuff about, the ruckus and the chiefs and all that. It wasn't that long ago that, you know, the only things you would see in, you know, mainstream Atlanta sports media about soccer was fan violence. That would be what the AJC or channel two or whoever would pick up and say, Oh, there was a fight at this game. And it just that, a couple of it, it was last year um, that you're talking, I mean, in your, what you're mentioning, I mean, we had it during when Mexico played at the dome last and everybody picked you it up. You saw the reaction to that. Yeah, and that was what everybody picked up. They didn't pick up, you know, uh, the game itself, um, the quality of the game, you know, the the, the controversy of the penalty. Well, yeah, they, they didn't get into how that kicked off. I mean, it was just, yeah. oh, there were fights in the stands. Um, they didn't talk about the game and how it caused it to some degree and how it affected it. It was just, oh, this is not good. Or how embarrassed people were by it. I mean, you had some fans who were throwing things, but most of the people I talked to and most of the people I dealt with were just embarrassed by it. If they were fans and even just neutral observers, that wasn't how they wanted the game to be perceived. That isn't what they want to see. You know, people are there to have a good time and watch a game. They're not there to have, you know, beer bottles thrown at them. Sure, sure. But I think, you know, fans also have to be realistic. And yes, this happened at a soccer game. Um, I've had season tickets for the Falcons. I've seen it happen at Falcons games. I've seen fights between Falcons and Philadelphia Eagles fans at the Georgia Dome during those games. Well, the sun also Falcons rises and the East, so of course it happens. Yeah. Well, especially, I oh mean, my God. Yep, Falcons Saints. Um, I've will, seen it I, in college I won't, games. I, I won't take my wife to a Falcons Saints game because of that reason, because I've seen things. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, it's the problem is, you know, you're not going to have the heavy criticism of 
football fans that you would with soccer fans if something like this happened. So I'm not saying like there's a greater responsibility of supporters groups to you know, curb this. I think it's just the responsibility of people in general to not be fighting at a public event. I, mean, I don't think that's too much to ask, but no, I, agree. Uh, I think, you know, there is, and if to kind of, I guess, wrap it up a bit with this is there are definitely more issues with American soccer culture and aggressiveness, I guess is the, the catch all I'll use um, than there was in the past. Do I think it's at all like the New York Times portrayed? No. Um, do I think it could ever get to that degree? No, I'd be shocked if it did. Does that mean that it, there's not any problems at all and, um, you know, the American soccer culture is absolutely perfect? No, it's not. I, I That's the best way I could think to put it is the way you did. Um, I was hesitant to go into college football because that's the first thing I thought of because – if, if you've ever been to a college football game, you see people, different walks of life, different opinions, different beliefs, they're all there. It's over, a, in some cases, over 100,000 people sweating, probably drunk, about to make poor decisions, and base their entire weekly mental state on an hour of football. And you've got different mentalities, different beliefs thrown around, and it's it's honestly what I thought about when I after I finished reading this, it's like it's, college football has this. We have people who, you know, you may or may not be, and maybe ashamed is a strong word, but ashamed to be associated with some people in the same fandom as you. Does it mean they represent everybody? No. Does it mean you represent everybody? No. It's a melting pot. And I think Atlanta really, like you said, I think Atlanta really fits uh, just the diversity of the city. Look, just east of town, you have Clarkston, which might be the most di- one of the most diverse patches of Earth, you know, this side, in the Western Hemisphere. Yeah. Uh, you have you have such a strong uh, immigrant population in the city, and you even outside of the immigrant population, you have a very unique diversity for plopping down an MLS team. I think it'll be fine. Um, yeah, like you I said, think, there I are ways Atlanta, to improve on. Exactly, I think you know. The Atlanta soccer culture will be unique. I think it'll be different than the other MLS cities. And I hope it keeps that as it grows because, you know, you, you see, and one thing that the, the piece did get right was there is definitely a reliance on, you know, borrowing from the English game in our supporters culture. But like, I, I don't know why this wasn't, you know, spelled out by the writer because it, it makes obvious sense why American soccer fans would grab from England more so than anywhere else, as opposed to especially, you know, Latin cultures, because most of the American soccer fans that are following American soccer and American soccer teams speak English. So they're going to grab the chance and stuff from England. That's just how it goes. That's why the Premier League is the most watched league. Um, the, the language affinity is a big, huge part of it, and it always will be. That's just that's just how it is. Um, does that mean everything needs to be borrowed? No, I don't. The the song that's referenced here, Enchantment, it, it makes no sense to me. It just, I think it's it's silly. And there was, you know, I saw an argument on Reddit uh, among the New York Red Bulls fans who 
you know, some felt really awkward in singing it uh, last night against Orlando, which would make total sense after what happened in Orlando. So yeah, it's just, I think there's things that are borrowed that don't really fit into the American soccer culture. And I, I think they will get purged out over time and new things will develop. I think Atlanta will have more of a blank slate than anybody, which could be really cool. And I, I have a lot of confidence in, you know, everybody that I know at, at resurgence and footy mob and terminus legion to, to make it cool. And I think that's what they all want to do. So hopefully that can continue. Yeah, I agree with you. And um, we'll kind of shift here about five minutes left and we'll kind of shift to something a little, well, I don't want to say lighter because it really wasn't uh, taking a look at MLS this week, Jason. Um, it wasn't lighter for Dallas last night. <laughs> well, well, I mean, their, their goal difference was a little lighter. Uh, that's about it. Um, but Seattle, and I know you want to talk about Seattle and Orlando just because they're going through, uh, they're going through pains in two different kinds. I mean, Seattle's got their own issues. Orlando, there was a, there are a couple of good articles about Orlando's going through growing pains. They're in their second season. They really did well last year. Kakas kind of injured um, this year. Uh, they just fired their coach. It's kind of rough right now. Yeah, Paul Tenorio's piece in 442, and we've talked about it before. It's definitely a must read for, for any Atlanta United fans because, you know, the Orlando situation is completely different. You know, don't get me wrong. I don't see that repeating itself here. But, it does show how hard it is to get a team off the ground and how expectations will change quickly. Um, I think it's you know good here in Atlanta that uh, Arthur Blank and Darren Eels have both said from the jump that they want to be competitive and they want to win. So, you know, it's not like the expectations are going to ratchet up. I would say probably they have a higher expectation than maybe some of the fans do in terms of competing and winning straight away. Uh, so I don't see things happen as exactly like they have in Orlando, but Orlando, you've seen a team that's, you know, a club whose culture is completely changing. And some of that's due to ownership, some of that's due to uh, changes in the front office. And now you've seen, you know, Adrian Heath go. So what will Orlando end up being? Uh, I don't know. I, I have no idea where that's going to go. Um, you know, you are now kind of a rudderless ship at this point, and it showed in the 2-0 loss to the Red Bulls on Wednesday. It was just I, – I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard to be an Orlando fan right now because it's not a lot to be excited about. No, and hopefully that means there's room for them to mold it going forward, and it doesn't have to get off the ground right away. I know you don't want to lose the fan support by struggling like this, but like you said, it's it's a – it's it's hard to get a team off the ground. Like Atlanta United is doing a really good job with the way we look at it right now with the signings. Doesn't mean everything's going to be a slam dunk. Doesn't mean they're going to go out and win a cup or you know make the playoffs in their first year. Things are going to be rough at times. Um, got to be patient and you got to kind of learn as you go. But um, yeah, I don't I don't know. Uh, you mentioned Seattle. I mean, they, at least Seattle got off the schneid this week. Yeah, but I, I'm still not convinced, and I'll tell you why. Like, if you watch that game, and it was the game that, that I started with last night, Dallas had a red card early and gave up a goal. So they're they're playing a man down, a goal down, and Dallas used this game as their let's clear the bench and give guys a break game. 
So you already had a younger lineup in there. You already had a less experienced lineup and it showed because they couldn't handle the pressure. They couldn't handle being a goal down so early and they just fell apart, lost five, nothing. Um, I'm going to say that was a lot more of Dallas falling apart than Seattle being world beaters. And now you know, the game wanted to talk about this week, you've got Seattle in Portland facing off. Uh, Portland hasn't lost in their last six. And Seattle's going to be missing Clint Dempsey. Yeah, Portland is absolutely – I shouldn't say absolutely. They're kind of pulling that whole thing where they're going to – where they struggled in the first half. They haven't lost in their last six. And like, oh, they're going to end up – they're going to be that – they are going to absolutely be that team that gets into the playoffs, gets hot at the right time, beats somebody they definitely shouldn't be. I'm not saying they'll win at all, but they'll beat somebody they probably shouldn't be. It's funny. Portland is pulling the classic Dominic Kinnear move. This is what Kinnear would do with Houston, and he's tried to do it with San Jose, where they just look like kind of garbage through the first part of the season, and they peak at the right time. Kind of. And they peak at the right time, and that's the league structure we have. It's, it's about being at your best at the end of the season to go through the playoffs. And, you know, that's, that's just what it is. Like the, the supporter shield is, is a huge accomplishment and it's definitely something not to, to overlook, but you want to be at your best at the end. So I, I disagree with some people who are, are going through the thing now about saying that, Oh, well, these games don't matter. They all matter. And especially they matter for, playoff positioning you don't just throw games away but when you get the fixture congestion like you have right now you know and you get you look at what Dallas had to do Dallas had to rest guys and they picked this game where they said we're on the road it's gonna be a tough game anyway Seattle's been struggling um maybe we can get lucky and play the kids and see what happens and didn't work you had an early red card just, it goes sometimes that happens nothing you can do what do you think uh, – okay, I mean, your thoughts on this game this week with Portland-Seattle, it's always a big game. We just got done talking about, uh, you know, supporters groups, and if you want to call them ultras, though that – man, I always kind of shudder at the word ultras, especially in America. Um, just yeah. because of the connotation associated with it. Um, but, but if there's a game where they're going to come out in full force and just get lit as hell, this is it. So what do you think happens on the field? I mean, sorry, let's ignore the stance for a minute. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to make a prediction on what happens in the stands. I, I will predict that Portland wins. Um, I will predict that they win fairly comfortably. I'm going to go 3-1. Uh, I, I just think Seattle with Dempsey red carded in the last game in a stupid ma- manner is going to come back to bite him. I still think Seattle's got the depth. I think it's, they're still a mess and Portland's going to exploit it and win handily. See, I was down that road and I'm thinking more Portland two one. Um, not, not, I mean, a two, a two one that looks much more convincing than it is. Like, yeah, I could buy that. I think they'll win comfortably where Portland gets up and they don't have to, keep a foot on the throat. They or they they can just kind of they can comfortably just kind of do their thing. Well, Jason, that's about it this week. Um as we wrap up, uh thanks again for another wonderful week. Um thanks again everybody for listening in.
We'll be back next week. Anything that breaks in Atlanta, we got you covered. For Jason Longshore, I'm Jarrett Smith. Feel free to check us out. Peachtree Post, Mouths of the South and Dirty South Soccer. Thanks again, everybody. Okay.